Welcome to the Comics Misremembered Podcast with your hosts Jim and John, and here's the opening music. Hey, whoa, I didn't do a fade out on that one. I got I, whoa, I totally forgot about uh, doing the fade out on that song, but hey, welcome to Comics Misremembered Podcast. I'm your host, Jim, and um, John is still recovering. Uh, at this podcast, uh, John and I, normally we would talk about comics and comic-related items, and uh, we play a little piece of music that's uh, related to the item that we'll be discussing. Um, my It was my fault this week. I was like a little busy, so I didn't get a chance to... Um, tweet out to send to Facebook and Instagram and all those, all the social media that we're on uh, to tell you what we'll be doing. I usually send that midweek so that you have an idea of, of what we're covering. And if you, um, if you bought the uh, comic or watched the movie, like, like you'll, you'll have an idea of the discussion. Um, it's a comic this, so I forgot to do that. I do apologize. Um, it is a discussion. We're going to be talking about a comic book this week and the uh, comic book specifically is going to be the Frankencastle series, um, which came out in 2010. And uh, I, I'm, in other podcasts, uh, we brought it up. John and I would be talking about something, and it reminded me of Frankencastle. And I'd mention it, and i say, like, that is a, something I wanted to do a podcast on, um, you know, one of these days. And this happens to be one of those days. Uh, I I said to myself, I was just like, you know something? Uh, I think it's time to, to, to go over that Frankencastle story and, and to see... Because the reason why I like it so much is it's a very divisive uh, comic story. You're either going to, when you say to people, have you read Frankencastle, especially if they're longtime Punisher fans, if you say to people, have you read Frankencastle, they're either going to say, I hate it or I love it. There's no, it was okay. It, there's none, none of that in the middle. Uh, but I don't want to get on too much about Frankencastle right now. I want to go through the uh, show beats that we normally follow. Uh, as I mentioned, I, pl I played a piece of music. And normally, uh, the music accompanies the comic we'll be talking about, Frankencastle in this case. And uh, I always have John guess at the music. Now, so John's not here uh, right now, uh, but I'm sure if he was here, he would get this one. Like, this is, I am 100% sure he'd be able to get this one. Um, because John has a, a wealth of knowledge of music, and he goes you know, across generations, across decades, across... Uh, music genres. Uh, sometimes he'll pull something loud, like, like he'll hear some pop song uh, on the radio, which was like from two years ago, and he'll know the artist and the album. And I'm like, how the heck did you know that? And that's just something he follows. And that's one of his passions is to follow music. Uh, comics is his other passion. Um, so he, oh, I always pick a piece of music that I think I'm going to try to stump him with, and he always gets it. This case, he would have gotten it. It is Alice Cooper, Feed My Frankenstein. Frankenstein is the riff, uh, you know, that we're going for because we're going to be talking about Frankencastle. Uh, and Alice Cooper, you know, I can't say, like, I'm a fan of Cooper, but I don't buy any of his albums. Um, but I, I'll listen to his music when it's on the radio. I won't turn it off. Uh, he is one of the uh, rockers, one of the first rockers in, like, the uh, 70s and 80s to do that kind of goth, that turn it, I call it, like, Halloween rock, where you, you dress up. Um, for it, uh, your music is themed. It's very uh, dark or spooky. Uh, a lot of rockers came out of that. Uh, you know, um, Rob Zombie is one that you know I think that followed in his footsteps uh, of that kind of spooky rock. 
King Diamond is another one that comes to mind, too, uh, where he kind of uh, told tales in his music. There's, there's, there's like these stories, and he would he would paint his face and, and things of that, and things of like that. Um, so I like Alice Cooper. This is I think this is a good song. You may even have heard this song. It was played in other movies. I remember um, Wayne's World. Alice Cooper has an appearance, and this is the song he's playing on it. Um, I believe in one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies too. Maybe the one where where he comes back from the dead is that the sixth one. I correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. But remember, this is comics misremembered. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that it's fact, and then I, when I look it up later, it's it's gonna be totally not real. Uh, it's not my fault. I think it is fact, and then it changes. Uh, <laughs> it's not truth. That's un, you know, not facts. Um, so Alice Cooper, Feed My Frankenstein, relates to the Punisher comic that we're gonna be talking about. Okay. Now before I get too far further into it, I want to just say a quick PSA here, quick message for you all. I go and support your local comic uh, bookstore, wherever you may live. You may have, you might not have any, but uh, if you do have some in your area, I happen to live in, you know, Massachusetts, and luckily in my area, there are multiple comic book shops that you could travel to in multiple cities. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to go down to a local shop and to pick up your comics locally. And speak, you know, usually the, the, all my experience, the majority of stores that I went to had a positive attitude. We actually did a podcast, um, a few years back about telling you, cause a lot of students come to the city of Massachusetts, especially Boston. And we said, Hey, if you want to go to a comic book store, go to these places, don't go to these places. Uh, go listen to that podcast if you haven't heard it. Cause it pretty much it stays the same. Some of those places, I, I think all those places still exist. But the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is, you know, it is a pandemic. Um, a lot of local store so services are closed down or shut down because of this, because we're not supporting them enough. And especially if your comic book uh, store is doing like a COVID-related business, meaning uh, you purchase your comics online, they'll pack them and bundle them for you, and then you go to the store and then they'll drop, you know, put them in front of the store when you get there or however they do it. They might bring them to your car or whatever the case may be. Go ahead, continue to do that. Continue to support your comic company. Now, why am I pushing this so much? Well, I'm not being paid by the comic company or the 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 big comic fund, big comic, uh, as you know, like big pharma or big computer. Uh, no, I'm not being paid by the, these people. The reason I say this is is the reason um, I am bringing up uh, Frankencastle. Uh, I happen to be down at our local comic book store, buying my usual pull list of of uh, titles. And what they had there was when I was waiting in line to pay for the stuff, uh, they have a table uh, opposite the register. And on the table, they always have um, things that they're trying to sell, like things that are on sale. And it'll be like a bunch of Marvel trades. It'll be a bunch of DC trades the next week, so on and so forth. And this uh, particular week uh, that I was there, they had a bunch of Marvel trades. And they were all like shockingly cheap they, because I guess they're just trying to push the inventory. And on this table, along with a few other ones, was Punisher, Frankencastle, the trade. This trade is a, is a, is a monster trade. <laughs> I can't believe I said that, but it is. It's a big trade. It's like over 300 pages. Um, and the trade itself, originally when it was published, and this is a soft cover trade, when it was originally published, it was $34.99 U.S., so it's $35. 
Now, it's worth every penny, in my opinion, um, $35 for this trade because of all the story and art um, that you get. And I'm going to talk about all the story and art as we go through it. But they had it there for $10, $10 trying to get rid of it. I was like, ah, that's a purchase for me. They had this. They had several other ones that I that were like all ten dollars that were originally like thirty five dollars. So I bought it, and um, I you know I reread it like maybe because like, this was a few years ago when this happened. They always but they continue to have stuff. And the store I go to is uh, New England Comics, New England Comics, and uh, they're always have and all the stores I believe do this. Like they always have something out there that's on sale. So that's what I'm saying is, um, you might think you go to like your Amazon.com. And you look for the trades there, and they're like, oh, it's like $10 cheaper than what it would normally be, and that's a deal. Go to your local comic book company. They might even have things that you want to read that are half or 75% off the, the cover price. You might get a better deal at your local comic book store than you're ever going to get at Amazon. So that's just my little PSA about supporting local business. But for me, it turned out to be a whole podcast. In fact, this might even be two podcasts because the story is so huge it's ginormous that uh, i might have to turn this into two podcasts um and i'm pretty sure i am um i'm we usually run about an hour um i think i'm probably going to fill an hour and that's just going to be talking about the first leg of the story the second half of the story it probably doesn't give me another another hour like i said this is like 300 pages of material that i have to cover so i pick this up i read it i'm like Man, I want to talk about this thing. Why, you know, um, why is it make so people so div divisive uh, about it? So let's talk about the the people who were are uh, were the creators for this book. Now, uh, the writer for this story, and this was the um, I think this is the third relaunch of the Punisher series. So you know, the the two thousands weren't very nice to the Punisher. I think you know the the Punisher's. Sir, the Punisher character as an anti-character kind of ran its course through the 80s and the 90s. Super popular during this time period. And uh, he had a limited series and that was popular. So they expanded it to a regular series. And the regular series ran, I want to say 75 issues, maybe even 100. I can't, re can't remember the top. It ran for a few years. In fact, the Punisher was so popular during the 90s he had two spin-off series. He had War Journal, and he had uh, War Zone. Uh, and I, I, you know, Punisher War Journal. That was, I think, Jim Lee got his original start on that book, if I, if I remember that correctly. So super popular. But as the uh, '90s went on, and we kind of went out through the '90s and into the early 2000s, uh, all the Punisher books were canceled, and uh, they tried to relaunch the Punisher again, and it would run for maybe a year or two, and then it would cancel. So I believe that this is the third volume. Uh, yes, it is the third volume of Punisher. This is it. So this is another. The Punisher was canceled again. It gets relaunched again as a number one title. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of canceling a book and relaunching it to try to get new readers. Um, I think if the character if the character had a following or fan base, they're gonna jump on anyway. And I don't think you're gonna get many people who didn't read this this character prior. Just by saying, oh, it's a number one, try it again. So, uh, it started, it launched again in in uh, 2000. And Rick Remender, Remender is uh, writing this one. 
And uh, he had a lot of artists on this book through its run. It only ran 21 issues, and then it was canceled. And then um, they did, like, I think it was like a six-issue miniseries called In the Blood, and then that was it. Rick Remender's run was over at that point. So about a two-year run, I would say, uh, of, of the book, which is a very limited run com- considering some other writers' story runs uh, for other books. And Rick Remender, very popular writer, especially right now, very popular writer. So you would say to yourself, he's like, how did Rick Remender, like, how, how did, why would people hate a Rick Remender book, right? Uh, well, you know something, it's, um, I think Rick tried to do something way different with The Punisher. Uh, and people were not very receptive to where he was going. And I think there's a lot of people out there that, take the Punisher as like a serious medium. Like he always has to be gritty and dark. And if you try to get out of that genre, the the core audience that reads the Punisher on a regular basis will revolt against you. The poor are revolting. They stink on ice. <laughs> so that, I think that's what, what happened here. And of course, we're going to talk about it. Um, there were several artists that have, were on the book, and I'm going to start, like, um, we're starting in the middle of the series and then to the end of the series, so we're not really going to be talking about issues 1 through 10, which is the uh, the first half of the story story arc. But in the first half, you had art by, um, um, uh, yeah, Haramo uh, Opeña, and then 10 Ang Hot, and I'm, I, I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing your names uh, on this podcast. That is something that we do, unfortunately, because we think we can pronounce the names, and then when I try to say the names, they don't come out right. And so we call ourselves the uh, world-famous name assassin ninjas. Uh, So they were in the first half of the book, and then in the second half of the book, we had Tony Moore doing the art, um, Roland Boshi, John Romita Jr., who did just one issue, and uh, Dan Brereton. Dan Brereton, we had on this podcast a couple of times, and he, he did the some painted pages for the series. Uh, so the portion that I'm going to be covering, and this is also in the pod in the podcast in the the comic book trade, if you do if you are able to get it, and the trade is just called Franken Castle, and in this trade it's collecting um, Dark Rain, the list Punisher number one, and I'm going to explain that comic in a second. Uh, Punisher Volume 3, Issues 11 through 16, which is known as the Dead Alive storyline. And then uh, Punisher Volume 3, Issues 17 through 21, which is known as the Missing Pieces storyline. There are also also two Dark Wolverine issues, Issues 88 and 89, because in the second uh, story arc that we're covering, which is the Missing Pieces, there is a um, crossover between Dark Wolverine and the Punisher, because uh, Punisher has to get his revenge against Dark Wolverine. Now you may say, especially if you're if you're new to comics, if you haven't read comics um, in the last ten years or over ten years, because this is this story is already ten years old, uh, you might say like, "What's Dark Wolverine? What are you talking about?" Well, I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Um, the but I want to talk about the the artists and the creators first. So Rick Remender is the one who's doing the uh, story for this, and I love Rick Remender. 
Um, anything he puts out, I am pretty much going to gravitate towards and probably read. Um, he, and as I was thinking about this, his, his Marvel career, uh, I was saying to myself, it's like, I, I don't know, did he do a lot of Marvel stuff? Cause he, you know, I remember he did this Frank Castle cause it's very impressionable to me. And I also remember he did his take on mutants with his uh, uncanny X-Force book, which, you know, started out under the radar and then people started to get on top on board with it. And then, you know, it became a critical hit and a smash hit. And in fact, I think, you know, uh, Rick Remender probably, and that's the, that comic book series went for a few years. And I believe, you know, Rick probably had a, um, an idea of like the end game for that comic book and the comic and Marvel was changing their whole kind of like structure of mutants and Avengers. They're trying to kind of cram the Avengers into all comic books because this is when they were getting the Avenger movies ramped up. So they wanted to put the Avengers in every single book. So uh, and he had to rename the, the uh, Uncanny X-Force, uh, the, and I believe it was the Uncanny Avengers. So it would be a, a mix of mutant and Avenger teams uh, that went on there. Uh, so that'd be interesting to see, like, you know, what was the, the to ask Rick Remender, what was the corporate line from Marvel when he was writing Uncanny X-Force when he started, and how did that change over time based on the priorities about getting the Avengers into every single comic book. That'd be an, an interesting story. Um, so so those are the two things that kind of popped in my head right away. And then I was like, no, wait a minute. He did a lot. He did a lot of Marvel stuff. Because not this is uh, in 2010, but then a couple of years, well, actually, and also in 2010, he helped reboot the Venom character again. And then this time it wasn't um, Eddie Brock being Venom. It was uh, Flash Thompson, uh, you know, Spider-Man's longtime foe from high school, uh, who became a friend to him in his adult years. And it was both Flash Thompson joining the army, uh, getting wounded in war, losing his, both of his legs, and then uh, the army using getting the symbiote and bonding to Flash Thompson and, um, and, and him being like a secret agent. And I thought, this is a really cool take on the, the the Venom character, because nobody was really doing much with the character at the time. And uh, it didn't hurt to have Tony Moore doing the artwork on that book when it, when it first started. Uh, I highly recommend that one as well. And then a couple of years later, he did a stint on Captain America, which was fantastic. And he closed out the Secret Avengers book that was running at that time in 2012. And if you not read that one, uh, that was a, a story arc that flew under the radar. I don't think anybody was reading that book because it, everyone knew it was going to close. It was going to end. And he wrote this really fantastic, compelling storyline uh, that kept me reading the book up until the end uh, with a lot of great artists um, contributing to it. And uh, and again, I, I think this is like an undersold story. I think um, not a lot of people are talking about that. Uh, so I wanted to pitch that one, too, if, if you haven't read that. So Rick Remender doing a lot of fun things. Uh, I, especially, I like this Captain America run, too, doing a lot of creative, fun things with Marvel characters that maybe you didn't see coming or you haven't saw, seen before. Uh, and I like that in writers. I like when writers take something that is tried and true and kind of boring and then inject a little life into it by making... The, the character's life a little stranger than it is. And in turn, that creates a whole bunch of um, like a wave of changes in the relationships that they have to the other characters that you 
are familiar with, uh, and uh, and villains too. And how does that change the villains? I think that's the the strength, the mark of a really great writer. So we're going to be talking about um, the Frankencastle now. I so you, if you the first storyline is pretty straightforward Punisher, but what he's and I'm talking about like the issues one through ten. Pretty straightforward Punisher, Frank Castle, still killing bad guys. But this time, um, from what I remember, it was uh, people who you already killed that somehow being brought back from the dead, and you learn uh, why that was happening. Now, what also happened in the middle of this run, so by issue 10, is there was a crossover event happening in Marvel called The Secret Ava- Invasion. And Secret Invasion is a, is a story that I want to try to cover in maybe a future podcast, because I'm pretty sure Secret Invasion is going to be either um, a show or a movie that Marvel's going to be pushing in the near future because we have we were introduced to the scrolls in the uh, Captain Marvel movie. So I'm pretty sure that this is going to be something that Marvel's going to focus on. And Secret Evasion, the miniseries itself, uh, was written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, that one, I, I really enjoyed that miniseries. And I'm not going to talk too much about it, but what I wanted to point out is at the end of the miniseries, there's this gigantic bat- battle, and Norman Osborn, um, who is a, a businessman now, not so much a uh, the Green Goblin, but more of a businessman, is uh, pitched it in such a way that it looks like he is the hero of the secret invasion and driving off the, the scrolls that were ta- attacking the city, and, he's, and that he's helping the Avengers. And because of this... He gets thrust into the public limelight, and uh, and and he becomes like a hero, and everybody worships him, and he goes on um, to make big business deals and to take over Shield, and he takes over Shield, and he makes it he calls it Hammer instead, and he um, creates his own version of the Avengers. The Avengers are disbanded. He's um, makes his own version called the Dark Avengers, and it's pretty much a similar concept to the Thunderbolts if you're familiar with that comic book series where all the heroes are secretly villains or were former villains. And they're pretty much still villains. That's why they're called the Dark Avengers. Uh, and one of the heroes, former villain, uh, is Wolverine, Dark Wolverine. And this is Dakin, uh, which is the son of Wolverine. And he's as psychotic as um, the uh, Sabretooth. I couldn't remember his name there for a moment. And so he's, he's as psychotic as Sabretooth, but he is actually the son of Wolverine, the illegitimate son of Wolverine. And uh, one of the first things that Norman Osborn is going to do is he's going to get rid of and get revenge against any hero that crossed him, and he's going to vilify any hero that crossed him. And when the first one on his list is the Punisher. Uh, he's like, I've got it because he's he he's doing it because he's like he on the surface he's going to say this is somebody who has been working against the you know New York City. He has a vigilante, and he shouldn't be allowed to, and we're going to bring him in. That's what he says. But secretly, he's like, this is somebody who can rise up against me, can betray me, and um, they, I can't make an alliance with him, so I might as well get him off the board, uh, and so I'm going to kill him. <laughs> it's going to look like we're going to try to capture him, but instead we're going to kill him. So that is that issue that, that says Dark Reign, the list, Punisher number one. It's a one-shot issue, and the Dark Reign is the aftermath of Norman Osborn being in charge of kind of like all um, the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, authority, the authority figures uh, in New York at the time. So as issue 
um, 11 starts uh, of this Frankencastle run, uh, and, or in specifically the Dark Reign one-shot, uh, Frank knows that he's on the uh, Norman Osborn's hit list, so he's preparing, and he's like in a warehouse, and Norman Osborn is flying his helicarrier, his version of the helicarrier, and he is, um, he's like, hit one of his men say, oh, we found it, do we want to send men in on foot? And he's like, no, forget that, just launch missiles at it, blow that guy out of the sky, or, or blow him to the sky. And so they're like, okay, so they, they launch missiles at it, and now, prior to the missile attack, uh, there is a character, uh, a new character that gets introduced called Henry Russo. And Henry Russo is taking place of Microchip. Now, if you're a longtime Punisher fan, you know that Microchip was the kind of like um, the character that would get all the intel for Frank Castle. He would hack computers. That's why he's called Microchip. And he would get all the intel and order all the guns that uh, the Punisher would need. And then he would um, supply the Punisher with that stuff and, and because and microchip joined him because his uh family was assassinated in some capacity uh by uh the, the crime crime and <laughs> so he joins him on this crusade of like fighting against the criminal um empires and but of course uh, micro microchip eventually uh died being on this crazy crusade that the punisher is always doing not you know any, if you don't try to get close to the punisher i think that's one of the the kind of like story, you know, the um, the warning stories that you're going to get is like, it's always going to end badly for you if you try to get close to the Punisher. So in this case, he doesn't have microchip anymore, but he has this character called Henry Russo. And what you're going to find as you read the book, and, and in fact, if you read the 10 issues prior to this, is Henry Russo is the son of Jigsaw. And Jigsaw is one of the, um, one of the first kind of main arches to the Punisher. One of the first, one of the few to actually encounter the Punisher multiple times and survive his, his encounter with him. Uh, and in fact, it looks like the last time that they tangoed, the Jigsaw had perished, uh, and which we find out that this isn't true because comic books. And, uh, he, you know, he always survived. You you know, the Punisher can't kill all his enemies. Somebody somebody has to stay around. You know, it, it's, it'd be boring if he, if he, kill, he keeps killing off enemies. You have to then introduce new enemies and you have to explain the backstory and... You know, you have to have your Joker. You have to have your main arch. So, but in this case, Henry Russo is working against his father's former reputation and wants to work with the Punisher to rid the world of crime, especially well, specifically in New York. So he is on um, like a rocket skateboard trying to get to the Punisher's warehouse to warn him that Henry Osborn is out to get him. And by by the time he gets there, he sees the warehouse explode. And, um, and he thinks he's too late. Now, what actually happens is the Punisher is uh, aware that he's going to be nuked or try to be nuked into orbit. And he climbs down into the sewers and, uh, and he hides down there. Um, and then it comes up and he comes up and he's r running around sulking in the shadows. And uh, then they decide, OK, the Punisher is not. They figure out there's nobody there. Uh, so we're going to now send men on foot to try to arrest the Punisher and or gun him down in the streets also at this point Dakin is with Norman Osborn he says I'll I'll try to take him out myself so they go down um on foot there's a lot of there's like thousands of officers hammer agents uh trying to take down the punch punishes like it's looking bleak so he starts he starts going into the uh the sewers again to try to avoid them but they catch on they they chase after him 
Um, a couple of the hammer agents get taken out by the uh, creatures that are actually living in the sewers. And no, it's not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but it happens to be the man thing is there. And everybody knows, and, and I talked about this in a couple of podcasts ago, uh, that any that the man thing is um, somebody that is a creature that if you fear him or if you fear in general and he touches you, you will burn. And these hammer agents encounter um, man thing. And they are in fear of him, and Man-Thing reaches out and touches the closest one, and that agent burns, and the other one tries to get away. And I, I can't remember, does I think the Punisher does take out the other one. So, he the Punisher, though, is, um, Man-Thing doesn't mess with him, but the Punisher is still down there. Now, he has Dakin chasing after him, and Dakin is very much like his father, Wolverine in this case, uh, because he's able to sniff him out. He's got the uh, super senses. And they eventually come together to have a battle. And the Punisher is, um, he has his weapons, he's trying to shoot, he has, pulls out his gun, his handgun. Dakin has the same healing factor as his father. And uh, so he brushes off the bullets. And, and uh, Dakin has an interesting claw setup. So we know Wolverine, when he pops his claws, it's a uh, three over the top out of the, um, the back of his hand. Dakin has two kind of... Um, Talons, yeah, that's a good word for it. Two talons that pop out of the back of his hand, and then one that pops out of his kind of wrist area. Um, kind of, so they pit like a pincer move. And so he doesn't swing his arms left and right, but more like kind of stabs at his enemies, I guess. And he's doing this to the Punisher. And he, uh, one of the stabs he does, is he tears up his face. He cuts cut a, a scar from his forehead down to his chin, cro crosses him. Another one stabs his leg. St he stabs him in the chin. So Punisher is going down fighting. He's like still, you know, um, shooting, shooting, shooting. And the, uh, the the character that I mentioned, Henry Russo, sees this. And he sees Punisher is losing. And it doesn't look good for him. And Dakin eventually gets the better of him. And he chops up the Punisher. He actually cuts him limb from limb. And um, Norman Osborn gets the feedback that Dakin has won and has torn the Punisher up. And uh, Norman Osborn says, okay, get the body parts because I want to get rid of them, dispose of them personally. And Dakin hears this and he's like, you know, you're not going to get my kill. And he kicks the body parts um, into, he, he was above ground when this happened, and he kicks the body parts into the sewer again. And you see the, the issue end with kind of these shadows approaching the body parts. And Henry Russo thinks the Punisher is dead because who wouldn't think he's dead? He's just been chopped into parts. Uh, that's pretty hard to sell as a comeback story, <laughs> you you would think. And this was just a one-off issue. Like, this wasn't even part of the regular series. So you're like, wait a minute. So issue 10 ended, and then there's this one-off issue, and the Punisher dies. How? What am I going to be looking at in issue 11? Well, this is when we get into kind of like what is, what is Frankencastle. So what you find out about those shadows is one of those sh shadows happens to be Morbius, the uh, living the human vampire, the living vampire. Uh, Morbius, uh, you may be familiar with the character. He is a longtime foe of Spider-Man, and he is a, a doctor who is also a vampire, and he does have to feast on blood to live, and he, he's, he has moral qualms about it. He doesn't want to be a vampire, so he has like this... He always tries to invent things around it because he is a doctor um, to invent uh, kind of fake plasma that will keep him alive but doesn't have to kill anybody in order to get it. Uh, and this is something 
that he's been working on, but he, he he's found a solution. And you're going to find out as the story arc goes on, you're going to find out the secret solution that he's been using for a few years that has helped him not have to create any new plasma. <clears throat> Excuse me. And also not have to feast on any blood of any kind, even of like rats or anything of that nature. Morbius finds Frank Castle's torn up body. And he is a doctor. He's a man of science. And with some of the other creatures that live in the underground, and, and this is more of a like an offshoot of, like you've heard of the Morlocks, which are the um, the mutant underground, the, character, the creatures that are mutant population that live underground. They have their own section of New York sewers. And then this is kind of like the uh, Legion of uh, Night. Is that is that what they're referring to? I can't, that's, I can't remember. Legion of Monsters. Yes, Legion of Monsters have their own section. Um, and Morpheus is, is living in this section. He has like a little laboratory set up there. And you see that uh, the Punisher is in shadows, but he, it looks like he is put back together again. He's got his human arm. He's got his head. He's got his body. But the other side of his kind of body is in shadows. And um, it, and this is also Tony Moore is doing the artwork in these particular. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. John Romita Jr. did the artwork for the one shot of the where he gets killed and just and cut up. John Romita Jr. fantastic artwork. Um, I love it. I always love his work uh, in anything that he does. I was first turned on to John Romita Jr. reading uh, Uncanny uh, X Men back in the day. Uh, back in the uh, mid '80s, and that's where I, where I found uh, his about his, his artwork. Um, but yeah, so John Romita Jr. did that one shot, fantastic looking. Tony Moore is now taking over the uh, art chores for the Punisher. And um, what I really like about his artwork is he does. He's very good at composing scenes uh, in this on the script, on the page. And also uh, creating interesting variations and interesting looks for characters. And I love his take on Morbius in this particular story arc. Because Morbius, as he's portrayed a lot of the times, especially he has his own kind of uh, individual series a few years ago, and I think it got canceled, of course, um, where he looked very handsome. He Morbius has a kind of chalky white face, and he has kind of a pushed up nose that looks like a vampire bat nose. And but the rest of his features are generic uh, human features, and he always is drawn kind of almost handsome looking. But in this case, because uh, he's been living underground and he's has a different source of um, how he is um, keeping himself alive, Tony Moore has made him look more of like a vampire, of like what you your typical vampire would look like. And he's very um, emaciated. He's very skinny. He's uh, he's skinny in his face. His teeth look kind of like rat's teeth. They're very pointed and jagged. Not not even the uh, the incisors. Of course, you know vampires always have the incisors that point down so they can pierce the vein and drink the blood. But all of his teeth look kind of like rat's teeth. And his face looks like a cross between a rat and a bat. And his hair is kind of matted down and thinning. Um, and he looks like Nosferatu if you're familiar with movies. Uh, the the original vampire, you know, this kind of like white, white and, and big beady eye. He has big red eyes, too. That's the other thing. Uh, he, so he looks more of animal than he does human. and But he's still portrayed as kind of a heroic, heroic character in this story. 
And but I just wanted to point that out because that is a very bold um, interpretation of the Morbius character, and I really liked it because it really fits to the rest of the storyline. As I mentioned, he's part of what's called like the uh, the Legion of Monsters, and so he's down there. He's putting Frank Castle back together again. Uh, he's talking to Castle about like I saved your life, and here are some pills that you have to take. If you don't take these pills. You're, um, I, I can't set your brain correctly. So if you don't take these pills, you're going to go into a blind rage and you're not going to function properly. So like once a day, you have to have one of these pills because if you don't, you're going to go into this blind rage. And, you know, Frank takes them and then he looks and he sees what happened to the other side of his body. And he's got like a robotic left arm and a robotic leg. And he's got these tubes sticking through his chest. And he looks in the mirror and he's, his skin is kind of gray and there's the I mentioned the scar that they can give him across his face. That's all patched up. And he's got kind of bolts and everything. He looks like Frankenstein's monster. And uh, so he's like, he, hence the name Frankencastle. Uh, and so Morbius says to him, uh, Morbius says to him, look, I saved your life. And I did this because we need you, Frank. We need you to help us because there's something that's hunting us, just like Norman Osborn was hunting you and I saved you. I need you to help us take care of these people that are hunting the monsters. And they're going to be coming to New York, and we are no way in any capacity of handling them. We need a strategic mind like you have um, in order to take these, these guys down, these hunters that are coming. And Frank Castle, you would think he's a very noble man. He would be very thankful being put back together. Uh, what he does is he tells him, he, you know, hey, take care of yourself. And he walks out the door and he tries to leave. And that's how the, the issue ends. And you're like, oh, Frank's turning his back on him. I mean, usually he would help out somebody who is the, the kind of the poor and impoverished and uh, can't fight against the evil uh, criminal organizations that are taking over a town or, you know, you know, doing st bad stuff with towns. And uh, but he doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see himself as uh, being, um, you know, that they're in his kind of war, his war against crime. Uh, so then who is this group that Morbius is so afraid of that he needs help from? Well, uh, it's it's a group that no, I don't believe ever existed prior. I think this is a Rick Remender original concept. And the uh, I don't think the characters are ever named specifically, but I think they, they have a couple of different names. Uh, one is the Hunter of Monsters Special Force, and that's what they call themselves early on. And I believe later in the series, there's an, um, like a group called the Shaolin Science Squad. I, I don't know if if it's the same group or if it's an offsh offshoot. I didn't uh, check the facts on that one. But we're just going to call them the, the Hunter of Monsters Special Force. And we catch up with the Hunters of Monsters, and they're on Monster Island. And uh, these characters... They are all um, Japanese agents. They have a, uh, their garb looks like uh, a cross, well, it looks like um, samurai gear. So they have like these samurai hats. I don't know what the helmets, samurai helmets. I, I don't know the specific names of um, samurai armor. So I'm just going to refer to them as, you know, my Gaijin uh, style of uh, referring to them, be, not, not being, um, and not knowing these things. Uh, ignorant, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and uh, so they have a uh, samurai helmet, and they have samurai-looking armor, 
and the helmet has a visor going across. So you can never see their eyes. They almost look like Judge Dredd. Like if the if there was Japanese uh, Judge Dredd, this is what I believe they would look like. So you never see their eyes. They have this uh, visor going across. And the visor has the rising sun, um, so which is the symbol of the Japanese flag of the rising sun, a red circle, white thing. In this case, it, had, it would have the red circle in the middle of the visor, and they're actually the rays of the sun. So red lines going across. Very cool looking. And their arms um, have implants of so they're kind of half human half robotic so cyborgs of some kind and their arms have guns and weapons built into them and they're on monster island and they all look the same they look like this kind of freakish uh nightmare fight team and uh they're on monster island they're looking for something and they're saying like you know we're looking for an object and you tell us where it is and they're like we don't the creatures that can speak they're saying, we don't know, and then they're, they're like, well, then you're no use to us. And these are helpless creatures. They weren't attacking anybody, and they they start killing uh, the creatures, uh, fire flamethrowers and machine guns and such. And um, they start speaking to their head, their leader, which who, who exists in the shadows, almost uh, like the emperor when we first see him uh, in the Empire Strikes Back as this uh, vision of like his, his head, uh, and, and we don't know what the rest of his body looks like. And they they speak to this man on on uh, the calm, and they say like uh, they the nobody here knew anything uh, about the, uh, the the object that we're looking for, sir. And then he says, well, that's so the, then you know what the prime directive is. He says, destroy all monsters, and then, and he says, and that means all of them. And he looks, and there's like a, a younglings, these little young children monsters, and uh, he, he you can see him turning the flamethrower and you know, destroying the, the monsters. Um, so these guys are ter terminate all monsters. So just like Frank Castle wages a war on crime and he'll stop at nothing, these um, Monster Squad here, not well, Monster Squad, that's a, that's a movie from the 80s. Uh, the, what do we call them? Monster, Hunter of Monsters Special Force Squad Uh is attacking and destroying all monsters. They get they want to get rid of them with a passion, with extreme prejudice, and that's what they do in this case. Um, but the, the in the shadow that they were talking to on his uh, comm set, um, he basically says we have other leads that we can look into trying to do that. So then we get back back to the underground again, and uh, we have the Punisher, and he's. He doesn't try to leave the sewers, but he separates himself from the monsters because uh, he's, he's basically trying to plan his next step. And he, he has this internal monologue talking about like um, his wife and remembering his wife and how, you know, what she would think, how he would look. And there is a, I think they're moloids. Is that how you pronounce it? Moloids, moloids are the uh, little yellow creatures that usually fight for mole man. And uh, they appear, they make appearance in, in Marvel books from here and there. Uh, but they're always kind of impish, childlike creatures. Um, and, and they're always curious about things that they don't understand. And this one, this Moloid, is uh, in Punisher's room. And the Punisher sees him and he thinks that this is a ploy from Morbius to send like this little kid in with a sympathetic face and to try to, to get him. And he says to the Moloid, Hey, it's not going to work on me, buddy. It's like, I'm not fighting your war. I'm just going to stand a little time here, and then I'm going to be on my way. And the Moloid doesn't say anything, because usually they don't. 
and uh, he just drops a candy bar and he leaves and he Punisher figures out like the, all this creature wanted to do was just kind of be friends and give him something to eat because he thought he might be hungry and uh, and that was it he didn't have any kind of ulterior motive so Punisher's kind of feeling like uh, a jerk uh, you know after after he sees this. Uh, the funny thing too is he's wearing the Moloid is wearing a T-shirt and it says Devo on it. And Devo, if you're not familiar, uh, was a, a alt rock band before they called them alt rock bands uh, in the '80s. And their name Devo stands for Devolution, uh, and they have like these kind of poppy rock songs. Um, they're really strange and bizarre. I love them. If you never heard a Devo uh, song in your life. Check it out, because that's, that's the thing. You might think, like, oh, a band from the 80s, what would I like about that? They were way ahead of their time. Like, just a kind of a side tangent about Devo. The concept that they wanted to do was they wanted to be an, in, uh, a successful band, and they would wear, like, um, all masks in the same suits and everything like that, kind of similar to the, what the Beatles looked like when they first started. And what their plan was is that when they got older, they would retire and then another group would take over for them just like Beatlemania and then they would wear the wig the, the the plastic pompadours that they used to wear and all the kind of funny garb that they used to wear and they would keep their song catalog and then write new songs and would keep on going over and it was more of almost like a um, art project um, rather than a band and that's what I'm saying is the, the, the lead singer and I can't remember his name at the at the moment um was way way ahead of his time and i think you know this is kind of like where what kind of blue man group turned out to be like a bunch of artists that you really don't know who they are because they're all dressed in blue um but they do tricks and then they can franchise and pop up all over the place and you think it's the same guys because they all look the same they all wear this blue bald head so devo go check them out if you know (laughs) yeah i don't want to go too much of a tangent there um, so yes, yeah, so Punisher feels bad and he's like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'll think about it. Then the next person to come to visit him is the living mummy. Um, and he's like, you know, thousands of years old and he says, like, you know, come talk with me. I'm not here on you know behalf of Mor- Morbius. I want to just like, you know, g- give you our side of the story. I want you to see who, who, who we're dealing with when we talk about the Legion of Monsters. And he goes through and um, and you find out like uh, the, the monsters that are there. And everybody's, you know, they're creatures, but they're gentle creatures. They're not trying to attack anybody. They're just trying to carve out their own place in life. They're under the New York City sewers. And the mummy's telling him this story. And he's telling about, about how he was, um, he didn't want to be a leader. He did, went back when he was alive, before he was the living mummy. He didn't want to be a leader of men. Uh, he just wanted to be uh, like a, a treated fairly, and he lived back in the time of pharaohs, so he was just automatically a slave with a bunch of hundreds of other slaves treated uh, poorly, and he's like, this can't go on. Somebody has to fight against the, the rule of the pharaohs, and he rose up against the pharaohs, and he led an army to overthrow the pharaohs, and he's telling him this story because it, it's, it wasn't his war, but he knew somebody had to do something, and he was the somebody and because he did that, um, not, he freed the slaves, but unfortunately he paid the price. He had a curse put on him, and he became the living mummy. Uh, and so he tells him this story to help, to try to make him, you know, bring him around. And he also shows him um, kind of all these displays that are underground. 
and the displays show all these kind of different weaponry. And he's like, this is what these docile creatures, you know, not ferocious creatures, are going to be up against. They're going to be fighting men who have this kind of capability. And just like, I just want to show you what we're up against and why we desperately need your help. And so the Punisher, you know, thinks about it again. And he's he's still thinking about it. He hasn't committed yet. But he's, he's maybe swinging a little, little bit more over. Now, the next scene that we have is uh, the actual Monster Squad. I keep calling them Monster. I want to call them Monster Squad. and that I shouldn't call them that. Uh, we want to call them who they are. And they're the Hunter of Monsters Special Force. Hunter of Monsters Special Force. And they also, it's funny, they have like their particular, like if you watch a lot of uh, Japanese monster movies, the way that the the humans talk, you know, it's they speak of that way. It's just like, for great glory and, you know, grandeur, fire missile number one, you know, that, that kind of thing, uh, which is very funny. Uh, and so what we find out is the uh, Monster Squad finally comes to New York and they start tacking into the, they, they're looking for this precious object. We don't know what the object is, but we found out that one of the creatures that lived under the ground, um, his name was Manphibian, and he was captured by the hero monster squad, hunter of monsters special force. And then we also find out who the shadowy leader was. His name turns out to be Robert Helsgard. And Robert Helsgard turns out to be as freakish looking as the Punisher is at this time. So remember, the Punisher was all chopped up, cut, put, put back together again, has a robotic arm, robotic leg, scars all over his body, tubes coming out of everywhere. He's got this atomic power pack on his back, all these like electrode, electrodes and such. And what we see with Robert Helsgard is he looks like, so imagine the first version of Tony Stark, which is that golden armor, that big clunky chunky armor. And I'm talking about the comic book version of it. Um, imagine that. And then take the helmet off of that armor and replace it with a see-through um, glass helmet. And then in that, you have a skull, a living skull, uh, surrounded by all this green fluid. And, uh, and it's the, his arm, the, um, not Iron Man's, but Robert Helsgard's armor is very ornate too. It has all kind of these leaflets and, um, kind of character so it looks like it looks like it has a turbine in the center of his his body he looks more robotic than man because he has kind of like this roundish figure in the center of his body uh it's almost steampunk too like there's a tube sticking out his arms are kind of like the old 1950 robot arms and robot legs and he is uh, his arms have multiple have both hands and then multiple weapons like a chainsaw and, and such and he is the leader so he is more monster. He looks more monster than the actual monsters that they're going to kill. But all these guys that are following him will die for Hellsguard, and we we have to understand why is he doing this. So Hellsguard has Manphibian, and he's like, "I want you to give me the location of your New York base of operations." And he's like, "I'm not telling you anything." And he says, "Well, maybe." Um, he says, "I knew you were going to do that." And luckily, we got your children, and your children were able to give us the location. And he's like, "What, Manphibian, what did you do with my children? Oh, I'll show you. And he opens, pulls up back a curtain, and they're all like a pile of corpses. And he's like, "Yeah, they're your kids. And Manphibian is angry, furious, and he's like, why did you do that? Why did you kill? Why Why did you even ask me if you already knew the answer? And why did you kill my children? And Hell's God says, because 
I like to torture my enemies, and I wanted to torture you. I wanted to know to let you know I already did did this, and that this is going to be a long and painful process. And then I believe you know there's a few more scenes, and and then he shoots Manphibian in the head, um, which you know looks like this is the end of Manphibian's tale. Uh, and so from there, he gets the information. Now we're going to go to New York. The the uh, Monster Hunter Hero Squad is I'm going to keep changing the name every time I talk about them. Is in the uh, the I was going to call it the tubes. That's what they call the subway system in uh, in England. In the sewage, in the sewer pipe pipes, and they're fighting all the monsters. And so the Punisher hears something going on, and the Moloid that originally tried to befriend him, that the Punisher so rudely shunned away, uh, comes and says, like, uh, he's trying to signal him there's danger. He's like, he's not saying, he doesn't speak anything to him, but there's danger. And then what he finds is the Moloid gets stabbed through the chest because he's standing there, and a knife pierces through his chest. And then behind him is one of these warriors, these monster-hunting warriors. And the Punisher is now... He feels this. This is per. This is the tipping point. This is what's going to make the Punisher get in on uh, on this battle, and he starts taking it to the the monster hunters, uh, and starts going through the sewer system. Now, th- at this point in the podcast, I've kind of covered like an hour of of the podcast, so I I knew this was going to be a two point a two parter podcast. So I'm going to end it here. Uh, on that note, now, you know, I am telling you the story. I am kind of spoiling the, the, I'm not doing it word for word or frame for frame. I'm just remembering it how I read it. So I'm probably leaving a lot out too. But the, here's a great thing about this story is it's fantastic. You can, I can tell you, I can tell you the entire story and even how it ends. And you're going to still want to read it because it is a great, in my opinion, a great story. Now, why is it so divisive? Well, you probably kind of understand the way I just I described everything. The Punisher gets killed, and he gets turned into a monster, and then he has to fight with other monsters, which is totally different than what your any Punisher story that you've ever read, which which I commend uh, Rick Remender for doing something totally different with a character that that is so tired the character. That is his book is going to be canceled anyway because you can only shoot so many bad guys, right? He did something totally different. It's still fighting bad guys, but they're crazy creatures instead of being like generic mafia mafiosos. It also has an air of humor in it. Um, there's a lot of jokes that are in this book uh, that you know I'm leaving out, and that's something that like Punisher, maybe these diehard Punisher fans. Uh, don't like they don't like a lot of humor and jokiness in going on jocularity isn't shunned uh, in these Punisher books and which is very I'm mean, very sad but I also point out Garth Ennis's run prior a few you know in the late 90s into the early 2000s Garth Ennis's run of the Punisher which had a mix a lot of dark humor in there and um and that and that why that's why it was enjoyable it was like, like a Garth Ennis's run has a lot of satire in it too spoofing the Punisher and maybe people don't even realize that that is happening um, and kind of spoofing other genres too. Rick Remender here is just telling a big old great comic book tor- story. Something um, that he has done with these other Marvel characters, taking characters that you've already known and kind of putting a twist on them and telling a funny, fast-paced, well-plotted story uh, that you should be loving. So it's because these people who fear change 
you know, the people are like, I don't like it when new things happen. And I don't know why I'm using this affected voice, but the, I don't like it when new things happen. And I like the things to be the same over and over again. I like the Punisher to have a gun and put the bullets in the gun and shoot the people in the face. Um, I hope, you know, that can get old after a while. You can only do so much. So he's telling a, a totally different kind of tale. And, uh, you know, I'm loving. So this is, and I think as the story arc goes on, people start buying into it. But as it, I think it goes on a little bit longer than people, like people wanted the Punisher to be Frank Castle at the end of the story arc. And I'm just in the middle of the story arc right now. But at the end of the story arc, they wanted a Frank Castle because, of course, Frank Castle survives. And they wanted him to become the Punisher. And he doesn't become the Punisher right away. He actually stays in this form for another st a few story arcs or a few issues. And people are like, okay, that's enough. No more no more of making fun of Frank Castle. Let's change him back to, to be normal Frank Castle. No more Frankenstein, Frank Castle. And in fact, they, they even changed the name of the book to Frankencastle too, which I thought was hilarious. Um, But this is, you know what we can expect from Punisher fans. And I think this is the reason why it's so divisive because you're going to either be like me, you're going to love the book. And if you've listened to this podcast a lot, a lot for a long time, um, you know that I'm always about seeing something unique and fresh with tried and true characters and also putting humor in books. I love it when people do put humor where it's appropriate, you know, like uh, that's a great thing about reading a Spider-Man comic book, no matter who's writing it is that you're always going to get Peter Parker, and Peter Parker is always going to be a pest to his villains. He's going to give puns, and he's going to make fun of them as he's fighting them, because that's Peter Parker. And that humor is always going to be there, and that's what you're always going to get. Um, Punisher, you think, oh, all I'm going to get in with this character is, you know, uh, stoic, uh, strategery, strategery. Yeah, the, that's the word I wanted to use. Stoic, and then strategizing, uh, fighting, killing, shooting, and then that's it. That that's the end of the day. So if like if you don't like that, don't read this book. Well, we're getting something different here, but we're also getting those tried and true marks uh, from the book. Okay, so I am going to stop it here, and hopefully you enjoy it enough that you come join me next week. I'll have a different uh, intro music. I'm going to try to figure something out, and uh, we're going to find out what who Hellscard is. Why does he look the way he does? Was he ever human? Uh, who are these Japanese uh, warriors? You know, we're going to get more information about that. And does Frank Castle ever become Frank Castle again? And how does he do it? And what's this mysterious object that they're fighting all fighting for that, that Morbius seems to be holding on to and nobody knows what? Well, I'll answer all those questions and more next week. As always, you can go to comicsmisremember.com, uh, the website uh, where you can get the podcasts of previous shows and also the links to all of our social media. I want to thank you for listening to me this week, and I will see you in seven.